0: Brother Goff, I want you to come and take your liberty this morning. Amen. Just obey the Holy Ghost. Praise God. Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. I'm so glad to be among his children and to feel the presence of God that we feel here this morning. Amen. I believe it's just going to get richer and deeper and fuller. Amen. And hopefully, the Spirit of God flows freely. In our altars this morning, we want God to reach down and touch lives. That's why we're here, that God will touch lives in this house this morning. Hallelujah. I thank Him for His presence that we feel. He is here in a mighty way, and I just want to get into the Word of God. Give honor unto my man of God, my bishop, Pastor Reagan. Thank you for giving me this opportunity. I know that it's your health that gives this opportunity on a Sunday morning but I do appreciate it, and I thank you for allowing me to serve the church this morning. Amen. If you'll turn in your Bibles, I have a very short text that I'll be reading today. It's very familiar. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. It says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. This morning... I want to be able to deliver the Word of God that He's given to me of breaking the chain of sin. and I have such a heavy burden upon my heart, amen, as service began to start, it just began to get even heavier and heavier, and I feel like God wants to set someone free today. That's why we've come, right, to help each other, to let the Spirit of God move and allow His presence to come in and let Him do the work, amen, if we can lift our hands, And ask God to allow us to enter into his presence even deeper. Allow his word to speak to the needs in this house today. Let's talk to him. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Savior, for what you have done... Hallelujah. Amen. You may be seated. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Understanding sin is very important for you to understand the problem you must be delivered from. And it's about all about understanding who you are, where it came from, what it means. You have feelings, and many times we have had someone around us, or even yourself been troubled or perplexed, and you go and you say something to them, what's wrong? And they say, I just don't understand. But I'm here to tell you that if you don't feel the joy of the Holy Ghost, if you don't feel the peace of God in your life, if you don't understand the meaning of your life, I'm here to tell you it's because of sin. It's because something else has taken the place of God, whether you have ever experienced Him or not, the absence of God's presence makes way for the devil to come in and do what He wants to in your life. We see from the very first example we have in the Bible, we all have this book, this example of Adam and Eve. We see that Adam and Eve disobeyed God and were removed from the Garden of Eden. The picture perfect life was one now of toil. The Bible gives us the clear language that God spoke to Adam and Eve and cursed the ground upon which they walked and said uh, very specific things that's going to happen to them the rest of their life. It was one of toil. They had it easy. They had it perfect. But it was no longer that manner anymore. We find that in post-sin, outside of the garden, toiling upon the earth as we know it, Adam, Gave a name to his wife, named her Eve. Says that in, I think, Genesis chapter 4, Genesis chapter 3, where Adam names his wife Eve. Prior to that, God had given her the name of woman, or Adam had named her woman, and God had named Adam man. And I guess that'd be a good question for you, Bishop who named Adam? doesn't say that God named Adam. And I've tried to look and read. I don't know if it's the authors. I'm not sure if the correlation between man and Adam in the language, how that correlates. But we do understand that outside of the garden, we find that Adam named his wife Eve. Now, there's a lot to unpackage from this very first sin that has affected every one of us here today. There's a lot that could be said about this example But there is something that happens in this life of sin. We get labeled. We get called something. We are a sinner saved by grace. But there's something more that happens to our lives and from those around us. We find that the people around us begin to label us and give us names that correlate our lifestyle in the past to who we used to be. They give us little nicknames. Remember, me and Joey, we used to run, and we would do this, and we would do that, and you're always known as some name. The world will give you a label. The world will put its stamp upon you, its stain of sin. But it is only by the grace of God that the blood of Jesus comes in and washes away the stain of sin. But the world wants to keep that name upon you. And they want to call you by that name. And they want to hearken back to those memories and those things that you've done. And you have to tell them, listen, I don't do that anymore. I'm not the same person. You can't just walk away from it. You have to fight your way from it. God has to give you the strength. Because you're always going to have someone pop their head up years down the road when you think everything is going okay and the next thing you know you run into someone in the grocery store from 20 years ago and you get those same flooding of images and the things that from your past and the devil's trying to make you remember who he used to call you. and You cannot acknowledge that. You have to fight that back and say, no, that's not who I am. There are times that I find It's very positive where God steps in and gives a name. You can look at examples through the Bible. You have Abraham. God gave him a name, changed his name. Sarah. You find Jacob changed to Israel. Even though I think Bishop done a marvelous Bible study on how that Jacob wrestled with his name and vacillated between the two. But still, God gave him a name. John. God named the baby, talked to his father, and said he's going to be called John. We find that Jesus, the name of Jesus, was even prophesied and said, this is what you're going to name your child. When God gives us a name, it's the one that has meaning. You can read through the New Testament. You'll find references over and over. When you just put in name, you'll find many different references. But the ones that stick out, are the ones to where Jesus says, in my name, or when the disciples say, in thy name. It's understanding where the authority lies. There's nothing that we can do on our own with our name. No power lies within my name. But when we lean upon the name of Jesus Christ, that's when freedom really sets us free. That's when The name is changed. When we take upon the name of Jesus Christ on our life, that's when truly the chains of sin are broken. There's another example we have in the Bible shortly after Adam and Eve and their sin. We find that Cain slew his brother Abel in the field, and murder is the ultimate cover-up sin. How dark a place you must be that in order to hide your sin, you're willing to take the life of someone else. That is a deep, dark place. Murder is the ultimate cover-up sin. I find it interesting in reading through Genesis and looking at these examples, I find it interesting that Cain slew his brother in the field. The place of labor that he and his brother both diligently sought to seek favor from God. Abel, a man with the flocks, and presented his offering of meat, the shedding of blood according to how God wanted it to take place. But Cain, Cain brought the fruits from his garden and they both toiled in a field. We all serve God in the field of labor. Be careful, saints. Be careful. We all serve God in this field. As I begin to read this example of Cain and Abel and the murder and the sin that was in Cain's heart, must have been more than just, I murdered my brother. But he had a problem, and God spoke to Cain. And confronted him about what was so concerning to him. And right immediately after that, he begins to talk to his brother. And things don't go as planned, the Bible says, and he murders his brother. As I begin to read this, immediately Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2 came to mind. It says, bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Reading on down in verse 7, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. Man, I feel such a burden. Such a burden on this word. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Saints of God, We're in this field of labor together. Be careful. Be careful. No matter what attitude or spirit you think you may have in check, be very, very careful. Cain was guilty of only hating his brother. And if you break it down, he's only guilty of loving less. That's all he's guilty of. We must be careful, church family. The devil, everything he says, is going to get you to try to what the world has created, a massive front of normalizing sin. Normalizing sin is the greatest lie of the devil. It's the tool of attack that he uses to attack the morals of the church. Normalizing sin. When he uses his divisive words and the words that he twists the Word of God and he twists the appearance of the world, he's trying to normalize sin. The serpent spoke to Eve and convinced her that what was told her to be bad was now viewed as okay. It's all good. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her. And he did eat. They all ate of something they knew was wrong. God spoke to Adam and said, Do not eat it. And yet, their opinions were changed. All because sin was normalized. People will say, This is who I am, and this is the way I will always be. It's a lie to where the world is trying to normalize your sinful nature. They're trying to get you to accept that this is the normal you, this is the way you will always be. The lies of the devil, that serpent comes up and just whispers those words. And he may use loved ones around you, the environment around you to convince you this is who you are and you have to stay this way. It's a lie. Everybody say, it's a lie. You have to believe those words. They are a lie from the pit of hell. Just because someone tells you it's okay to sin does not mean it's okay to sin. There's a study that was done on debate.org and they reached out and they did a survey and asked this question, should lying be accepted in special circumstances? 56 people answered the question, yes. One responder said, while the idea of absolute honesty is charming, in its own naive way. A well-placed lie can help a lot of people. That is how cheap truth is viewed. If I can help others with my lie, if I can be self-serving, if I can serve the interest of me and those that I can get to get on my side, it's worth telling a lie. What a lie from the pit of hell. You'll find it that politicians, media, and people with a platform to speak and influence others, they want everyone to believe the world is just as evil as they are. You know why? Because when the cover is blown, they can say, you are no different than I. Who are you to judge? And they use it as a mechanism. The people that have a way to change the world around them do it for the worse so they can so they do not stand out so much. And allows them to take things deeper than the sin that's around them. They begin to normalize, let it level out, and they take sin deeper and deeper and deeper. All trying to make sin look appealing. Everybody's doing it. I would admonish you this, and Bishop hasn't got to this platform, the pulpit, and stood behind this sacred desk and said, don't do it. But uh, take a fast. Turn off all the news sites that you may go to. Turn off all the social media sites. And go find good news in people's hearts. You will find out there are still good, godly people in this world, people that want to know more about him, people that are willing to dedicate their life to him. You have to find them. You have to go ye therefore, and you have to go into all nations. And it tells us to go into the highways and the byways and to compel them. You have to be careful about the people that try to normalize sin. Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20. It says, woe unto them that call evil good and good evil that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. You have to be careful who you allow to influence your life. You have to be careful to the voices that you listen to. You have to be careful who you shoulder to shoulder stand next to, and eventually they'll begin to rub off on you, and you'll be able to pick up their ways of thinking and their opinion on everything because You're trying to gain a friend, or you're trying just not to be confrontational, and you're trying to just be the one that goes with the flow, and they're going to ask you a controversial question, and you're going to be like, well, yeah, I I think that's okay. And the next thing you know, it's eroding your values. It's eroding what you used to be. It's eroding how God is trying to make you because you allowed somebody to shave off the morals that God has placed in your heart, trying to hold you to a standard But the world is not my home. I can find no friendship, no fellowship there. I am here to share the good news to this world. I'm not there to have someone help me out of a life of sin. I'm going out into the world to pull them in and say, you've got to meet this Jesus Christ. You've got to experience the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You have got to be filled with the gift and speak in tongues as the Spirit comes upon you. There is no way you can compromise this gospel message. It's interesting when Jesus sent out, I believe it was in 72, sent them out and gave them power. They come back and they say, even the spirits are subject unto us. They were in amazement that the spirit of God that was placed upon them, the authority of which they walked, they came back and testified, yes, there is power. Why would I want to entertain the spirits of this world? Because there is no power. You know what their power is? Bondage, change, depression. They're trying to drag you down deeper and hold you back and trying to constrict you. That's what a life of sin does. But God is here to break that chain. He's here to give you the the strength. He's here to give you the hand to lift you up and pull you out of that miry clay and lift you up and put you upon a solid, firm foundation called the church. But you have to be dependent upon the Word of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, in verse 5, Casting down imaginations and everything that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. You cannot let your own thinking be the judgment of what is right and wrong. You have to depend upon the Word of God. That is what we judge everything against. That is the measuring stick because we understand we do things and it varies. Just Wednesday night, I was helping my father prepare his uh, RV and travel his set up his truck and trailer for a trip. And I went down there to pay and he had it set out on this flat part of the parking lot. And if you've never done it, you understand, you won't understand uh, trying to balance out the loads in between the rear axle and the front axle and get everything to run smooth so when cars or semis pull you, go past you, it doesn't pull you one side or the other. You can have it all set up wrong, and you can have a little Honda Civic pass you and it'll suck you towards them if you don't have everything balanced out just right. So I get down there and working with my father, and we realize that we have a variance of over two inches, which is significant. If you have two inches of drop on the rear axle versus what is on the steering axle, and there's things that happen, and man, I don't want to get caught up in too much of the rabbit show here, but there's things that happen that where you, if you have so much load on the rear axles, you cannot accurately control the steering of that vehicle as you have lifted the front of the vehicle. And what you have on the front of your vehicle that's supposed to provide you value, such as your headlights, is shining in the eyes of everybody you pass. And it's not shining on the road in front of you. And so our effort was balance out everything. And we had to go through and try to make micro adjustments. I'm talking incremental adjustments on this piece and that piece, and eventually it started to bring the nose down and force weight on the front axles and level out the rig so it would drive level and smooth and not be dangerous for my parents to drive for hours in. The Word of God makes micro-adjustments to you. Don't get discouraged because you don't see the big change, but come service After service, after service, be faithful, be faithful, be faithful. That should be our goal in life, to be found faithful. And as long as you're faithful, God can take that rasp, that tool, and hone you, and create you, and make you in His image. But don't get discouraged because it's not some quick change artist movement. You walk in the church one day and you're, Totally different. But let God make micro adjustments. And it takes bringing into captivity every thought. Every thought. We ask ourselves, why is sin appealing? It's because it is our nature. It is only by the help of the Holy Ghost that anyone can hold off the onslaught of the world. It is only by the fortress that God puts inside of us, the shield, the armor that we are willing to put on and to be able to withstand the war of the devil that rages against you every day. But it is only the Holy Ghost, God's presence, that can step in and make the difference. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespass and sins, wherein times past she walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power, of the, power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we're of the nature of the children of wrath, even as others. It is our nature to be just like the Word of God just described. But you have to be willing to walk away and bring every thought captive unto Christ, whether they're perverse or whether they are against your brother or against anyone else. You have to be willing to bring them captive unto Christ. That is the only way you can break free from the chain of sin. You have to be willing to bring this and lay it down and say, God, these are not my thoughts. Replace them with pure and holy thoughts. Replace them with thoughts that are upon you, that think upon you, upon the word of God, the kingdom of God. All that is right in our life is only found in him. The devil will try to convince you you're broken. He'll try to convince you. You're devil-possessed. That is his greatest tool, is to try to convince you that you are untouchable by the hand of God. That there's nothing you can do to get set free. That's his greatest vice, the war of the mind. Because that war will convince you you don't need to go to an altar. You don't need to go to church. Well, it's a little late. You're going to show up 10 minutes late. You might as well not even go to that church that so-and-so invited you to or sister this or brother this invited you to a Bible study. You might as well not even go just say, you know what, it's just not going to work out. But there's that war. You have to bring every thought. You have to lean upon. Say, God... You know the intent of my heart. You know where I want to be. Make a way out of no way and allow me to find this precious gift of the Holy Ghost that I hear these preachers get up and begin to preach the good news, the gospel message about Jesus Christ. I am not this way because I chose to be, but I can be different by a choice I can make today. You don't have to stay the same way that you are right now. You're not broken. All hope is not lost. There's a way to overcome sin and to be dead to it. In 1 John chapter 2 in verse 15, says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. If there's something that makes you feel uncomfortable, it's not of God if it's trying to pull you away from the things of God. I like what someone said. I think it was Brother Savala or Bishop. I can't remember during the revival. If you have thoughts in your head that come in and they try to pull you away from church and do things that are not of God, that's the devil. Give him credit. But the devil will never never say, you need to go to an altar. The devil will never whisper to you, why don't you get down on your knees and pray? Why don't you take a time of study? The devil will never push you closer to God. And you have to understand what's trying to influence you. You have to understand the voices that are trying to battle its way through your heart and mind and pull you closer to God. Jesus, he is that ultimate example. While he was tempted early in his ministry, he responded to every temptation with Scripture. The man, Christ Jesus, was full of the Spirit. It is our example. In Matthew chapter 4, it says, but he answered, in verse 4, it says, but he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. You see, Jesus had an answer. And when you walk in the Spirit, you'll have an answer. In verse 7, And Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again, he responds with the word of God. In verse 10, Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Again, Jesus responds with the word of God. Even when he was tempted, even when the flesh of Jesus Christ no doubt was tempted, because it says he was. He was tempted. Likewise, in all points, he, he knows what we go through, he, yet, yet he still knew no sin. So what do we do? When sin becomes appealing. As a saint of God, when that moment comes, I'm here to just tell you the truth. You're no longer full. You need to say, I'm not going to give place to it. You need to say, God, fill me. And when, when that second look comes, it's, it's, God, don't even let that happen. When there's that temptation to do the old ways, and don't even let it enter into my heart and into my mind. Don't, God, keep it from me. When I read these words, don't let it stir up. Let Scripture counter it every time. Don't even give place to the devil. Break the chain of sin that's trying to shackle your hands and keep you from being able to lift your hands unto Him. Every time answer it with Scripture, with the Word of God, with song. Encourage yourself in the Word of God. Don't give place to the devil. Because this allows the devil to start to move in. Next thing you know, God's walking through the corridors of your heart, looking at the house that you are, your soul. And you look over and you see a little bag. Oh, well, what's this? Oh, well, the devil stayed the night last night and left his toothbrush and comb and deodorant. No, no. You can't even let it happen one time. Kick him out. Don't give the devil place in your heart. The only way to beat him out of there is through the word of God. Being faithful to the house of God. Praying, reading your word, being diligent. God, protect my heart and my mind. Don't let him shack up for one moment. Don't let him move in for one moment. Because if you give him the keys, the next day you'll walk in and he'll have his moving van backed up to your garage door. And he'll have it open and he'll just have the ramp full of all of his imps saying, hey, put this in this room. Take his joy out. We don't need that. Throw it out the window. Take his peace out and throw it out the window. This doesn't mean anything anymore because he's letting me move in. But you have to preserve what God has put into your heart. You have to put a lock upon that door. You have to lock the windows because he's going to find a way into your heart. Freedom from sin as a sinner and falling in sin as a saint. Both have the same answer. Jesus Christ. There is no alternate road. There is no bypass. When you stumble and fall, when you realize you're in sin, it is all found where the redemption, where the power of the Holy Ghost, where the freedom from sin is found through Jesus Christ. We don't have a quick pass to get us to bypass certain steps of salvation. We have to be obedient to the Word of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. The only way to access help is through Jesus Christ. He promised a comforter. You'll find it written throughout John in John chapter 16 and verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. In John chapter 10 in verses 9 and 11, Jesus is making it very clear that he is the only way, he's the only door of which you can go through to enter into his kingdom. It says in verse 9, it says, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and, and shall go in and out and find pasture. And the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. He is the comforter. The spirit of the living God is the comforter that comes down and fills our hearts and gives us the strength. To be able to push back against the advances of this world, uh, what's to shack us up, uh, with, uh, shackle us up with chains and bind us with ropes and things that we've allowed us to enter into our heart and our mind and entertain just for a moment. And the moment you walk in the house of God, you feel a little dull, your senses aren't quite as acute as they are, and you need to say, God, something's not right. I've allowed something to Shar to take off the, the the influence of the spirit in my life, God, I need you right now in this moment. I need you to reach down and touch me in John chapter twenty and verse thirty, the very end of John it says, and many other signs truly truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that Believing ye might have life through his name. Salvation is only found in the name of Jesus. In Acts chapter 2 and 21, it says that it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know what salvation means in this scripture? It means you're going to be set free. It means that everything that you woke up with this morning and wrestled with and the battles that you faced are gone. That's what saved means. It doesn't mean he partially pulls you out of the world. It doesn't mean that he kind of does a little bit of a work in your life. If you're willing to call upon the name of the Lord, you're saved. You're out of sin. You're out of the world. You no longer have chains that bind. Because the moment we say, well, he just done a little bit of a work in your life. We have diminished the power of God and his ability to change the life of a sinner. To restore the life of a fallen saint. If the moment we believe the lies of the devil, say, well, it's a journey. And maybe in a couple years, my life will be made right. If you're willing to call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. We ask how the gift is delivered. In John chapter 3 and verse 5, it says, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a man be born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Furthermore, it goes on to say in Acts chapter 2 and verse 37, and When they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? This was the answer that Peter gave. And then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You see, the very same, if you call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. This is the written instruction in the Word of God. And you know what? Every step is available this morning for you. You can come to an altar and repent of your sins. You can get in this baptismal tank and have your sins washed away in the name of Jesus. And in this very house, God has proven time and time and time again that he will fill you with the gift of the Holy Ghost. This is a promise that is fulfilled in this house. It's not somewhere else. Freedom from sin is not found somewhere else, but it's where truth is proclaimed in this house. You see, in closing, if the musicians would come to clearly convey the responsibility of the hearers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Bible is full of examples that relate to man and to make it even more pointed, that relate to you. Because he gave us examples time and time again. I will not read the scriptures for the sake of time, But He compels us to do this, walk after Him, follow after Him, draw nigh unto Him, to drink, to thirst, to understand the climate of our heart, whether it be cold or hot or lukewarm. He gave us the example of light. And there were so many other examples, but the point that God is trying to make is we know how to find Him. We know how to know him. We have to walk after him. We have to put action upon ourselves. If you want to be free, you have to do something. The gospel is not hid. The gospel in the New Testament talks about it. It says the mystery has been revealed. And what I just gave you in Acts chapter 2 and 38 and 39 is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The mystery has been revealed. It was God in the flesh dwelling among us, becoming the ultimate sacrifice. But you have to do something. I ran across a story some time ago. It's not a new story. But I read this story about a young man that died in a blizzard at the age of 25. An Israeli... He had been in the Israeli military, served his country, and as he was embarking out on life, he chose to walk what has been called the most beautiful hiking trail in the world. Located in Iceland, it's the Lagavegar Trail. It spans one of the most beautiful stretches of God's creation. However, the weather can be da- very dangerous. Conditions can deteriorate so much that they shut down the trail. And they take it so serious that they have volunteers and people all along the trail to be able to reach out and say, you can't go any further. And this happened on a day when this young man began to make his way and travel from Israel to Iceland. His name was Iddo. He made his way to the hiking area And he was instructed to stay at the hut and to not proceed. They had made observations that the conditions were very extreme and even the most skilled were pulled off the trail. And they made additional observations about his attire. He's wearing lightweight shoes. He's wearing cotton clothes. Cotton kills because it holds the sweat and will freeze you to death. It does not wick away. But he believed he could handle the weather conditions. And after he had been admonished at the age of 25 by those that had been and lived on that trail, and he had been admonished, do not go out. They thought he was going to go put and stow away his backpack. Instead, he reached out and went on the trail on his own. Realizing that after a while of hiking, he become lost, he reached out to emergency personnel And then called his family back in Israel and let them know that he was lost. And the connection kept failing because of the storms and where he was at. And he lost communication entirely from everyone. Search efforts began with highly skilled people from the area. But he was not located until it was too late for him. He ignored everything, every sign, every expert even the conditions around him. He thought, because I am a young man full of vigor, I have served in my nation's military. I am highly skilled. I know how to survive. I can ignore the wisdom and the instruction around me right now. You see, his family then went back and placed a plaque that is made out of a mountain of black lava stones. And upon that mountain sits a plaque that says, in loving memory of Edu Keenan, who passed away in a blizzard so close to the safe hut nearby yet so far. At only 25 years old, June 27, 2004, his body was found 0.6 miles away from the safety of a nice, warm hut. His last words to his mother as he departed to go on this trip was when she asked him to take care and to stay in touch where, Mom, what are you worried about? I'm going to one of the most beautiful places in the world. Six weeks from now, I'll be back from near an Enbar's wedding. Those were the last words that he uttered to his mother because the place was beautiful. The world that we live in may have its appeal, but I'm here Coming to this sacred desk to admonish somebody, don't let your eyes settle upon the wealth and the appealing things of this world. It is only for a season. And you you can say, oh, but it's just for a short period of time. Let me do my things, and when I come back, I'll be able to help the church. Don't let those be your last words. Sin is never worth the risk. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The just payment for sin is death. However, God has a gift that He paid through the life of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice of the innocent life. Jesus Christ paid it all. Don't let the last words ring upon your ears of, I'm just going to go out for a moment. I'm just going to entertain this spirit for just a moment. I'm just going to have this attitude for a moment. I'm just going to keep these chains on my wrist for just a moment. How far are you from safety? I could pace it off to your pew today and count how many feet you are from an altar of forgiveness. How far are you willing to just lay it all down and say, I'm okay. This is a beautiful place I'm going to. You have to be willing to get free from sin. And you have to make up your mind. Because Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin hath left a crimson stain. But here's the promise. He washed it white as snow. Can we stand this morning? I invite you to don't be held back by the feet of distance that keeps you from being free from the spirit of this world. I invite you to experience the power of Pentecost. It's like nothing you've ever had in your life. You're here because you're on the journey towards Him. And I open this altar as we begin to come up, saints of God, let's find a place to pray. I invite you to find safety in the house of God. This is the rest. Wherein the weary come to rest. Let's find a place and talk to Him this morning. God is here to set you free and to be free indeed. Hallelujah.